Woohoo and yeehaw! <laughs> it is Rare Breeds Month here at Pure Dog Talk. I am super excited. Yeah, baby, yeah! An entire month of cool interviews, amazing insights, low entry breeds, rare breeds, endangered. Well, there's something you don't see every day. Preservation battles. Rare breed enthusiasts are fighting. The work they're doing may very well apply in your own breed. So I hope you'll join us. This is going to be a lot of fun. Pure Dog Talk is proud to be sponsored by Trepanion, medical insurance for pets. Trepanion understands that veterinary costs can be expensive and hard to budget for especially when your pet gets unexpectedly sick or injured. And that's why Trepanion is there to help you, and help you when you need it the most, by covering eligible expenses during unexpected veterinary visits. Luckily, Trepanion's able to pay your vet directly, so you'll pay less out of pocket, and you won't have to wait for reimbursement. Trepanion also has a free program for breeders that allows you to have peace of mind by sending your litters with a special offer so that folks can try out the insurance. You can learn more about the Breeder Support Program by following the link on my partner page. Be sure to mention Pure Dog Talk sent you. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and I have a very special guest for us tonight. We are in the midst of the Rare Breeds Are Fabulous month here at Pure Dog Talk. And so my friend, Maria Arachidera, is here to speak with us. Maria has Kuvas, and she has recently added Pumi. And so I'm very excited to talk about these Hungarian breeds and have Maria share a lot of great information about Kuvas and also what brought her to adding Pumi to her life. So welcome, Maria. Thank you for having me, Laura. I'm talking about my two favorite things in the world. So right? I, I really feel like I'll never be able to shut you up. <laughs> Other than my children, of course. But. No, come on, really. These are just oh, as good, I promise. they don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, you know the routine, man. Give us the 411. What brought you to purebred dogs and to Kuvas? I mean, you're Cuban. Why don't you have a Havanese, right? Like, why do you have Kuvas? Not only am I Cuban, but my last name, Arichadera, is Basque, so people think I should have a great Pyrenees. There you go. But I came from a non-dog family, and my family fled during the Cuban Revolution and settled in New Jersey, and my mom says that my first word was dog before mama. I think that's lore, but be (laughs) that as it may, back in the old days... There was no internet, so I had to save my money and I'd mail in for the old AKC Gazette subscriptions and see pictures. And I bought the AKC Book of Dogs from Saving My Money and then the books on handling. And flipping through the AKC Breed Book one day, I saw a picture of the Kuvas and it was like a lightning bolt, love at first sight physically. And in fact, I know the breeder of that dog. I think she's passed away since, but it was the first AKC Best in Show Kuvas, and his name was Champion Hemralvi Hinden Odin, bred by Dana Alvey. So when I saw this beautiful dog in the picture, I started reading up on it. And what really sold me was the temperament, the loyal, 
self-sacrifice, the spirited, keen intelligence and independence. And after reading that, I was like, I need one of these dogs. I must have one. And how old were you at that point? I was 10. (laughs) Yeah. And instead of getting a Kuvas, I got a pet store mall Siberian Husky. (laughs) Because my parents were very kind and wanted to encourage me. And they found a dog at the shopping mall and bought it. It was an AKC registered Husky. And I loved him too. He was awful. I showed him for years, never got a single point. We did win a couple, not best juniors, but first in our class, Mm -hmm. including at the Bronx County Kennel Club, if you can believe it. That's when I used to live back east. And the Boardwalk Kennel Club. Oh, my gosh. He never amounted to anything, but he became the impetus for me to just get bitten by the dog show bug. Right. So if you fast forward now through college and law school, as soon as I had a job and a house of my own in the 80s, I said, I'm going to get a Kuvas. And that's pretty much how it started for me. I found a breeder and got a pair and then moved forward from that point. And so that breeder served as a mentor for you? Not at all. Again, this was in the 80s, so we didn't have access to a lot of online information. I think I found an ad in a Dog World magazine. And I mean, I'm not blaming the breeder, but like a lot of people, when you're starting out in a breed, you may not really know. And you get a pair of dogs and hope for the best. And they ended up not being bred. And I moved on from there. But It's very hard to have mentors in rare breeds. I think it's challenging in any breed, but a lot of times we're geographically dispersed Mm -hmm. and there's frankly not the numbers to be mentors. So I did have a lot of friends that were wonderful and helped influence me like Sally Ferguson and Bonnie Leach up in Mm -hmm. the Pacific Northwest. I know them well. Good. And Millie and Hank Fellerman in Colorado mm-hmm. and Marla Conkey and Dave Conkey. She used to be called Marla Adams and Loretta Ouellette. And a lot of the early breeders, I would say, were really super helpful. But I didn't. I didn't have the luxury of having a good local mentor who could guide me, mm. you know, year by year in my breeding program. So there was a lot of failure and some success. And you just try to make the success percentage a little higher every time. A little trial and error. Exactly. I'd say that considering you've won the Breeders Sweepstakes at the show there. We won the best in show at the Santa Barbara's Breeder Showcase two years in a row, 2017 and 2018. So I'm saying I think you did pretty well on that trial and error thing. (laughs) Yeah, we did pretty good. We've won nationals. We've had multiple Westminster group placers, multiple best in show dogs. So we're really happy and proud. And Adara Kuvas is not just me. I consider it a team because again, with rare breeds and especially giant rare breeds. Yes. It's hard. I mean, I don't have an old school kennel with 20 runs. There's only so many dogs that I can manage even on a six acre property and give them the attention that I feel each one needs. So we do a lot of teamwork between myself and other breeders like Deborah Blank and Randy Ham in Texas. And I always joke, but it's the cliche is, you know, teamwork makes dream work. But one of the things that's funny too, is working with other rare dog breeders is like any breed, 
Type is type and style is style. Yep. And the people I work with, we don't necessarily agree on the same style of dog, but we're very dedicated to type, that it has to look like a kuvas from across a football field, not a pier, not a white borzoi. It really needs to look like a kuvas. So when you share those kind of goals, it makes it a lot easier. And the thing that we've talked about, and I think it's still important for any breed, this isn't just Kuvas advice, but to me, you have to have a vision. Mm-hmm. Everyone understands how to read and dissect a breed standard. But if you don't have a vision, all it is is a bunch of parts. And you know how a lot of breeds have an illustrated standard? Yep. I think those are great, but I believe in being your own illustrator. Not that you're an artist, but in your mind, you have to have that vision of what the perfect pug or the perfect kuvas or the perfect Doberman is. And when you look at your dogs, you have to stack them up against that perfection. You can't just say, I want to fix rears the next generation. I want to fix ears. You always have to be devoted to that vision. That's my opinion anyway. I like it. It's kind of like not to get really weird and off subject, but anyone who's ever studied philosophy like Plato. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't, I recommend your readers just take a little, you don't have to read the Apology or any of his great works, but look up Plato's theory of forms. Yes. And you know this, but Plato's belief was that there was a perfect everything in the realm of the soul, whether that be a chair or a tree or a dog. He said those are exist in the realm of the soul and everything we see here on earth It's just an imperfect version of that. And that's the one thing that I always joke about with other friends is that we are striving to build perfection, which is an impossible goal. But damn it, that's the drive and the fun of it. We're trying to create perfection in whatever breed you're in. Okay, Maria, can I just say... Have I gone off? No, no, no. Listen to me. I've done 370 episodes. You are the first person to say Plato on Pure Dog Talk, and you get a gold star for that. And so, no, seriously, I love this. Love it. So talk to me about the Kuvas. It's a livestock guardian. And I've seen you write about the Kuvas before, and some of your descriptions of how and why the Kuvas is not a great Pyrenees and is not a whatever, Samoyed, I don't know big white fluffy dog right are so powerful to me so speak to us about the kuvas speak to the average dog owner who might be considering a kuvas is this a good choice is this not a great choice speak to us about the kuvas for a minute all right just briefly like a lot of livestock guard dogs they were singularly purposed to live with livestock And there's livestock guard dogs of all different colors, shapes, and sizes throughout the world. The actual batch of what I call the white livestock guard dogs are kind of special because some of them are maybe or may not be related. And it happened as nomadic tribes moved from the, you know, eastern Ural Mountains and the Fertile Crescent westward. And as they settled in each area, whether it be Italy or Spain or Czechoslovakia, each one had their own form of a rural white livestock guard dog. In Italy, it's the Marema, for example. Mm-hmm. In Czechoslovakia, it's the Chuvash. Spain, it's the Great Pyrenees. In Turkey, it's the Akbash dog. Mm-hmm. And for Hungary, 
it was the kubas. And here's the thing, when you're teaching people about, at least physically, the different dogs, their bodies are not that dissimilar. They need right. that kind of same athletic build. And we're not a head breed, but the devil is in the details. So that's when things like heads, coats, tail carriage, ears, ear sets, yes. everything are what's important. But I don't think that's really what you want to know because you're asking me why someone right. would want to own a Kuba Correct. today. So this right? is a rare breed. This is a breed. There are not many of them left. Right. So we think about a livestock guardian dog. There are not many flocks of sheep by comparison to a couple hundred years ago or 500 years ago or a thousand years ago. Exactly. There are not many flocks of sheep that need guarding. There are some. Right. But there aren't many. And your dogs do not serve a livestock guardian purpose with you. So talk to us about Kuvas as a companion, as a livestock guardian, who makes a great owner and who doesn't. Okay. The one beautiful thing about an ancient rare breed like the Kuvas is that it survived the perils and tests of times, of centuries, of world wars. Even in their native Hungary, they went from being like flock guards to the royal dogs of the court of King Matthias of Hungary. And he would have them in his castle because, according to legend, King Matthias didn't even trust his closest allies and guards more than he trusted his kuvas. So he always had them in the royal court. And they also were used as napkins, believe it or not. People would wipe their hands on the white fur. Oh my gosh, I love that. I know, it's pretty funny. So to me, that showed versatility, that this wasn't just some kind of a wild animal out with the sheep. It could be even in a royal court as a personal guard. And I can tell you personally, from living with them and raising two children, that they're is no greater babysitter than a kuvas. Mm. When my children were outside with a kuvas, I knew all was well with the world. Yep. I wouldn't say they're a child's dog because of their sheer size for a small child, but there have been kids who have shown them, my daughter included, even at around seven or eight years old, she was able to manage one. And Caroline Clegg mm -hmm. has kind of yep. put the breed on the map as a junior too. So even though a lot of them don't guard livestock, they're way more versatile than they're given credit for. The other thing that's good about the Kuvas, despite its large size, is that it's actually a relatively easy keeper. Mm. It doesn't eat a lot. Interesting. Despite its size, the metabolism isn't that it devours tons of food. They're huh. pretty light eaters. They're very comical, believe it or not, even though they have a very serious job. Mm-hmm. They can be clowns and sneaky. I remember one day, one of my kuvas, I just heard this tiptoeing behind me, and she was a young bitch. She actually had my sneaker in her mouth, and she was trying to tiptoe. I've never seen a dog try to tiptoe through the door. And I yelled at her, and she was busted. She dropped the shoe and ran around like it was so funny. <laughs> I never saw a dog sneaking. That was right. the weirdest thing to me. So it showed me that they were clever and problem solvers. They also have a very strong opinion of themselves because, remember, part of their duties, they were left on the hillside right. while the shepherds went and had to seek shelter from the cold. So mm -hmm. the Kuvas was raised and bred for thousands of years to make executive decisions independent of man. Yes. And so 
if I'm walking down the street and I have to go to downtown LA when we used to have the shows down there, if my Kuva saw a guy or a woman coming by that just was off or wrong, you could tell they were already on alert. Mm. They make those decisions for themselves. I think this is a good point to segue. They are not an easy breed. No, it's not easy because they are independent, but they're very smart. Mm-hmm. They're not for someone who wants to get a high in trial. <laughs> they will do obedience. We do have some really good obedience dogs. And unless you really want to challenge, you would not select a Kubas for an obedience high in trial dog. Mm-hmm. But they learn very quickly. And I always tell my puppy owners that those first couple formative years are so important. I said, if you make that investment in a Kubas, you really have to, though. If you make that investment in the first couple of years, you will never want another dog. You will Mm. love this breed. Mm. But what happens a lot of times, and I understand in busy lifestyles, you can't just throw it in the backyard and hope to have a good dog. I realize that's probably true for most breeds. But if I can dare use an example, if you throw a golden retriever in a backyard for a year and don't socialize it, it's probably still going to be a goofy, friendly, out-of-control dog. If you take that with a Kuvas, they're going to be inherently more suspicious of strangers and all that because of the lack of socialization, because now you've put them back to their roots. Right. And I think that's really important for people to understand that like many of our big, tough, strong, tough-minded, tough-bodied... A lot of dogs with guarding tendencies. Correct. You can't just, as you say, and I think a great turn of phrase, let them go back to their roots. Yeah. Because back to their roots is not necessarily going to fit well with 21st century American civilization. Right. And sometimes I'll get a person who will say, well... I don't really want to socialize my dog because I want it to always be able to protect me. And I always try to explain to them is you can't socialize the guard out of them. Right. They will always guard just like you can't train a retriever not to want a tennis ball. You know, that's their nature. Yes. What you're doing is tempering it so that it, like you said, can subsist in a 21st century environment. Absolutely. Okay. So taking that, And in a rare breed and preservation breeder month here at Pure Dog Talk. (laughs) Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. So, hey, crew. New year, new decade. Let's have some new Pure Dog Talk promos while we're at it, shall we? All right. Our patrons group continues to grow and thrive like the NPR of dogdom. It's so cool. And Pure Dog Talk offers you, my loyal listeners, an opportunity to get in on the fun. Pure Dog Talk patrons are invited to join a closed Facebook chat group just for you. And I promise you, no drama mamas, no keyboard warriors, just fabulous, supportive Pure Dog Talk fans. That's it. Each month, I pick a photo submitted by our patrons group to be the cover image on the Facebook page. You guys have seen it. And anybody with a quick question gets immediate feedback from moi personally, as well as input from the array of patron group members. Pretty fun. The patrons group also gets first dibs on podcast topic suggestions. So if you have something you want to hear about, that's a good way to do it. 
And to celebrate the new year, I'm adding a whole new technological challenge to my life. Oh my God. I will be hosting Facebook Live discussions for patrons only on the final Monday of each month from 6 to 7 p.m. Pacific time zone. Y'all join us from wherever you are, but that's when they'll be. Just a few of our planned topics of conversation include advertising on a shoestring budget. (laughs) Yeah, trust me, we can talk about that. Campaigning a special just for runner handlers. Problem solving the stack. Tricks of the trade for grooming, like what products do I like or anybody else like. Open mic Q&As, all that kind of stuff. What you guys need to know is that the generosity of Pure Dog Talks patrons is literally what keeps the MP3s running here. The money is set aside exclusively for overhead and operational expenses. That's it. Now, I'm incredibly grateful to our corporate sponsors. You have no idea. They have the dedication to purebred dogs and the resources to ensure that Pure Dog Talk remains a powerful voice for purebred dogs that you guys, y'all believed in this mission and you supported it from the beginning. You are the heart and soul of my crusade to provide all purebred dog lovers a constantly growing, challenging treasure trove of knowledge in a 21st century format. So just click the Be My Patron on Podbean button on the website. It's quick, it's easy, it's secure. And I hope to see all of you on the next Facebook Live chat. One of the reasons I really wanted to talk to you is that you chose to add a breed to your pack for a very specific reason. And you added Pumi. And I want you to talk a little bit about why you did that. I don't know why I have such an obsession with Hungarian breeds, but I do. For a tiny little country, comparatively speaking, to me, they have the most badass breeds. I mean, come on. The Komondor, the Vishla. I mean, they're so unique. And the Puli, the Kuvas, the Pumi, and now soon coming the Moody. Yes. I just love them. I don't know why, but I just think the Hungarian breeds have always fascinated me. So sometime in the early 90s, one of my local friends, a Hungarian gentleman named Paul Juhas, who a lot of Kuvas owners and breeders will recognize. He was Satmari Kennels. He went on one of his annual trips to Hungary, and he came back with a couple Pumis for his wife, Gay. And on one of my visits to his house, I said, what the hell is that? (laughs) (laughs) And all I saw were these strange little creatures with koala ears. ears (laughs) I did. I was like, what the? I probably used a different word, but (laughs) I said, what the hell is that? And he goes, those are Pumis. I said, I never heard of that. He goes, well, it's a very ancient Hungarian breed. I go, that is the funniest looking dog I've ever seen. And I paid it no mind because, number one, it was small. Right. And I was young and robust at the time. <laughs> and number two, it wasn't AKC recognized, so what do I care about it? So fast forward to now 60-year-old <clears throat> Maria, and the Kuvas are kind of getting big. And I was in love with the Pumis, and I knew the Levies were very involved in trying to get them recognized. And I said, you know what? With my love of Hungarian breeds, this is a perfect segue. I already know a lot of people in Hungary, and I want a Pumi. Old age breed. 
<laughs> that was a little bit of a misconception on my part, I will say, because what I found is that as cute as they are, they are every bit a tough pound for pound herding dog mm. with a very short off button. <laughs> Do I regret getting Pumis? Absolutely not. I love them. But what they've done inadvertently is made me have to move more. So I guess it's good for me. There you go. But I thought it was going to be my old lady breed. And they've actually, they hike more than my Kuvas. So. I love that. I love them. They're great dogs. They do like the sound of their own voice. So a lot of people don't like the barking. But I can tell you that when you tell them. If you train them properly, they will be quiet. You tell mm. them to be quiet, they'll be quiet. But they're very vocal because the Pumi actually uses its voice as part of its herding tools. You know how a Border Collie will use the eye? Right. Well, a Pumi is not called a crouching herder. They're an upright herder. And they do use their voice a lot to move the flock. So they chatter. They talk. You know, you walk in the house, they bark at you to get their attention, to do this, to that. So to me, this is so critical when we talk about preservation breeders and making sure that people understand that what a dog's job was is absolutely an imperative piece of who they are in your home. Exactly. And so understanding that the Pumi moved their flock with their voices Understanding that a Finnish spitz moved the birds with its voice. Yes. That a Kuvas guarded its flock, its king, and its people, and it's probably not going to be a Labrador or a Golden Retriever or a, you know, friendliest dog that ever met anyone who walked in the door, right? I mean, knowing these things is critical. That's the thing, and I hope that your listeners understand that I don't want to discourage them from the Kuvas because the Kuvas is not an unfriendly animal. Right. The breed standard has two very specific parts that are key to me regarding the temperament. The first part that I'm going to quote is polite to accepted strangers. Mm -hmm. So a guest in your home will never be threatened by a Kuvas because that is an accepted stranger. But what I tell my guests is if you were to leave now and we left our house, let's say, and you tried to come back in mm -hmm. now, wait a minute. <laughs> now you're not, you know, mom right. and dad said it was okay, but now you're coming in on your own. No. Right. The second part I want to emphasize is it's one of the very few breed standards that actually has the word children in it. Yes. And it says extremely strong instinct to protect children. And it's almost like they have an innate understanding of vulnerability and mm -hmm. whether that's the elderly or a child. Mm. And it's a beautiful thing to watch. They will moderate their movements and their exuberance around people they perceive to be vulnerable. So I don't want to discourage people and think, well, you know, right. it's not a friendly dog. But as you said, it is not a Labrador. You're not going to let it loose on the beach. <laughs> you know, you're not going to take it to a dog park, although no, I wouldn't recommend no. that for any breed. No. So you have to, like you said, understand the unique characteristics of each breed. Exactly. And we say this on Pure Dog Talk every single time, that dogs are history. And they are art and every single breed recognized by the American Kennel Club and FCI, what have you, they represent a specific time 
in history. And they are the living conduit from that place in time. It is. That's beautifully stated. It's the most beautiful thing about purebred dogs. And you know, you and I, like the saying goes, we stand on the shoulders of giants. Yes. You know, of all the people that preceded us that took the time to love and breed these animals for us to enjoy in this day and age, even though they may be hundreds or in some cases thousands of years old. Yes. That is so special. It is. And to me, again, I say this all the time on the podcast, but I sincerely believe that, that those of us, each one of us, we choose and dedicate ourselves to a breed or a couple breeds or whatever it is. We are curators of that history. Yes. And purebred dogs, the Kuvas, the Pumi, whatever, they are the living history of Hungary and the people and the lifestyle and the place that they come from. Well said, my friend. Well said. Okay, it was a philosophical note all the way from Plato, so I couldn't help it. I know. (laughs) (laughs) From Plato's theory of forms, I know. There you go. I love it. No, you totally win this prize, man. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Well, one of the things I also want to tell your listeners about the Pumi, and you mentioned it kind of, you touched on it briefly with the Finnish spits and the Pumi barking to move, is that sometimes an animal's looks also belies its purpose. And that's one of the problems that we may see with the Pumi. And we don't have a very active rescue, thankfully, yet, but it's only been admitted since 2015. Right. However... We have a lot of inquiry about the cute little fuzzy dog with these the koala ears. Dogs. Yes. Oh, yeah. They think it's a koala and it's not a couch potato. It will cuddle with you on the couch. If it has to. But it wants to go do something else, too. And so that's my one concern about this particular breed is that we're going to have to find our way through maybe some ill-fitting unions between the public and the Pumi and their lifestyle. But Mm -hmm. I think that their future is going to be just fine because they're just the right size at 25-ish pounds. And not a huge amount of grooming even with the hair, right? Like you just cut their coat. Right. You just, as I'm sure you learned from Chris and Levy, you just comb them out wash them, air dry them, and then trim up their outline. But it's a fairly natural breed. It's the perfect size. It doesn't shed. It's great with kids. So I think the popularity of that breed is going to be just fine. And it's become a new star in agility, dot diving, and other performance events. People are finding that the Pumi is fantastic at all of those things. I have a very good feeling about the future of the Pumi. The Kuvas concerns me. Right. Well, because they're bigger. And I think, again, larger breeds need more room. Our world today is tends to be less room. Right. But I think one of the things that is so important when we talk about preserving these breeds is that, as you mentioned, ability to transition to a new job. Right. So I'm not guarding 5,000 sheep. I'm guarding these two children. Right. Or I am not moving these two sheep. I'm moving myself through this agility course for the Pumi. So those things, and as a preservation breeder, as someone who's trying to save this conduit to the past, we have to look at these breeds and say, okay, so where do they fit in today's society? Exactly. There's a gal, a friend of mine named Karen Rowers in New Mexico. Yes. Who has one of the best 
Kuva service dogs mm-hmm. because she's had multiple injury accidents mm-hmm. and she uses her Kuvas as stability dogs. Yeah. And she's a fellow baseball fan like myself, so she brings her dogs to the baseball games and everything, and her Kuvas is a great service dog. Right. So they can be useful in other capacities. It's just the matter of getting the interest because I'll tell you one thing, Laura, I see these new breeds coming in to the AKC and also some old breeds. Like mm-hmm. let me use as an example the beautiful Great Dane. Right. I can go to a dog show and see 40 Great Danes and those dogs are way bigger than the Kuvas and I scratch my head and talk to my breed club people. Why can't we get that interest in our breed? Mm-hmm. And I don't know what the answer is, but I'm sure it's multifaceted between the hair and the rareness or whatever. But right. even when they introduce like the can of Corso, it's like, right. oh my gosh, they already have 30 entered. Right. <laughs> so it may just be the kind of dog and it appeals more to the bully fanciers. But mm-hmm. I feel that a lot of people with rare giant breeds have to figure out a way to market them. Right. I told my breed club, we've almost responsible breedered ourselves out of existence. Absolutely. Go back and look at some of the past podcasts on this exact topic. We can protect until we're blue in the face and until our breed is gone. Right. Exactly. It's funny because in the 90s, there was a Disney movie called Homeward Bound 2. Yes, I remember it well. Homeward Bound 2, and it had a Kuvas as the love interest of the main, I think it was a boxer male. It was a trio of dogs trying to get home or two dogs and a cat. And so he meets like a girl on the way in the streets, and it's a Kuvas. And our breed club was insane scared. Oh, no, this is the 101 Dalmatians all over again. Everyone's going to want a Kuvas. Mm. Crickets. (laughs) Crickets. Crickets. Sometimes we're too protective. Right. And I meant that sincerely that we can protect our breeds into extinction. Exactly. Pet people love their dogs to death because they get them too fat. We as preservationists, as breeders in the purebred dog fancy, I think can get way too wrapped up in, oh, my breed is too cool for you and you and you and you and you and you and you. So who's going to own it? (laughs) Right. Exactly. And how many people have you met that said, well, I got my first, uh, whatever, my first Belgian Tervur and I was in an apartment. Right. (laughs) Half of us wouldn't have passed many screenings. No. You know, someone has to take a chance sometimes with the understanding that you're there to mentor, support, and take back. 24-7 tech support. Yeah. But sometimes you got to take a chance. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Well, Maria, my friend, I love you dearly. I love you more. All right. Thank you for and, joining uh, us. And I'll see you at Wolfstock. Wolfstock. Um, what is it we do? Old Coots giving free advice. It's bad advice, but at least it's free. <laughs> I love it. And I will see you there. Thank you, Maria. Have a great evening. You too. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. 
The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our dog show superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.